Before you have a seat, would you take a moment to turn around to the people next to you and greet them and say hello to them, everyone online. We welcome you. Uh, to our online gathering. I'm so grateful for each one of you that you're choosing to stay engaged and stay connected online with us. Uh, you are a fully a part of who we are at Red Hills Church. How you doing this morning? All right, there's like three of you are doing great. A few of you need more coffee, uh, which you can have after the gathering. Well, uh, if you're new uh, with us today, my name's Aaron Hansen. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, I love our church, Red Hills Church, a church where it's okay to not be okay, where you can be your true, authentic self. And my prayer is that you will be changed by the grace and nature of who God is. And that is exactly what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to change us. Uh, he, he wants to mold us. He wants to transform us uh, into uh, the person, the man and woman uh, that God has designed you to be. So this morning we are uh, continuing a series uh, in the life of Moses, uh, and it's called The Journey Home, Finding the Way Back to God. Finding the Way Back to God, and we're looking at the life of Moses. We're looking at uh, his, uh, his early life, his midlife, and the end of his life. I told you in the beginning, you can look at his life into thirds. The first third is zero through 40. Anybody zero through 40? You're zero through 40. All right, the second third, these are my people. You're 40 through 80. Come on, come on. All right, you didn't want to raise your hand. Is your wife not 40 yet? Oh, well, you married a younger woman, so did I. Uh, all right, 80, 80 and above. Any 80? All right, I know we got one. I got Phil over here. You're my favorite 80 plus year old man. So thank you for being here. So Moses' life can be separated into thirds. And, and it's interesting because God does something unique in his life, in every stage, in every phase of his life. And, uh, and all of it is about finding the way back to God. And, and this happens through the experiences in Egypt and it happens through the healing in the desert. That's what happened uh, in the desert. And, and, and it happens today as we read the narrative of the burning bush. And you can begin to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter three. I wanna share uh, something that, uh, a word that was spoken uh, earlier this week or the, the, this last week. Uh, our staff, we went to a, a, a pastor's conference, a pastor's and ministry conference uh, in Beaverton, and, uh, and, and there was about a thousand people there, and it's just a time for us to receive and hear from the Lord and be filled up, and uh, one of my friends who's the worship leader there, he, he gave this word, and I thought it was important to where we're going today, and I, I thought, I want to share this word with you today. He talked about uh, taking his nephews on a, a donut tour through Portland uh, and checking out the, the donuts, and he says, at nearly every donut place, there is a separate shelf with the day-old donuts. How many of you know that shelf, all right? Uh, and, and every time, it's it's tempting to buy the day-old donuts, but it's much better to buy the ones that are fresh. How many have ever bought day-old donuts? All right, a few of you. You only have to do it once, all right, because you're only saving like 30 cents a donut, so isn't that great of a deal, 50 cents? But for some reason, we always have donuts at our church. I don't know why, but our dream team eats donuts all day long, uh, and our middle school eats donuts, and, and, and our donuts are gone by the end of the, the morning. I mean, they're completely gone. Somebody eats all the donuts, but I guarantee if we bought day-old donuts, they wouldn't be gone, right? 
They wouldn't be gone. Because there is something about eating things that are fresh. And his point was this, is that a lot of times we are eating stale bread. We are living in yesteryear of our experiences with God. And God wants to give you fresh bread. God wants to give you a fresh word. He wants to speak a fresh revelation to you. I know coming out of the season that we were in, that I've been in personally, that I desire desire and long for a word from God. And some of you have never received a word from God. Maybe your faith has always been an intellectual ascent, like believing in a certain set of doctrines. If Christianity were only believing a certain set of doctrines, then I would be out. Christianity is a relationship with a holy, mighty God who loves you in a deep and profound way. And he wants to encounter you today. And I want you to think as this, as I go through this narrative today, because Moses has the ultimate encounter with God. It's the moment of the burning bush, all right? The burning bush narrative in Exodus 3. And in everything that we're reading so far in Exodus and the story of Moses is leading him to this point to experience God in his fullness, in his glory, and his holiness. So Exodus 3. Uh, verse 1, we're going to read the first uh, 10 verses of this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take you through this narrative because I think this is one of the greatest interchanges between humans and God. This interaction and this exchange between God and man. And I want to use this as an opportunity for how we approach God and maybe how God speaks to us 
today. And so the first thing I want to point out, if you have, to, if you like to take notes, if you have your, your outline in front of you or the handout, I want you to circle the word tending the flocks, tending the flock. I want you to underline that word or write that word down. Moses was a shepherd for Jethro. Now, tending the flocks is not a high and mighty position in ancient Israel or ancient Egypt. Tending the flocks is actually a lowly occupation, right? It's very mundane. You could say it's boring. You're by yourself. You're with a bunch of sheep, right? And, 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 and this is your life, right, to tend the flocks. It's interesting. I ended last week that the desert place is a place of preparation and training for Moses. And oftentimes the seasons of the desert is a place of training for us. And the way God is doing that with Moses is tending the flocks. Right? Because if you can lead sheep, then you can lead people. <laughs> if you can nurture sheep and you can protect the flock, then you can nurture and you can protect people. You know the shepherd becomes the theme throughout the narrative of Scripture, right? There is another person that was trained up shepherding and tending the flock. Who was it? David, right? When Samuel came to Jesse, he said, one of your sons is going to become king. And he put all the ones that mattered in his eyes in front of Samuel. And none of them measured up. He's like, is there anyone else? Yeah, there's this young one, David. He's not very tall. He's not very big. He's ruddy, right? He's not very attractive, <laughs> right? This is why God says to Samuel, a man looks at the outer appearance, but, but, God, but I look at the heart, right? David is, is not the most attractive man in the world. He's the shepherd boy, and he's tending flocks. But God is preparing him in this place of tending the flocks for what he's going to do in him later, and he does this with Moses, he does this with Moses, that God is preparing him. And so I don't want you to underestimate the mundane, average, ordinary, boring things that happen in your life that God might be preparing you for. You know, as I look back on my own life, I begin to see how the things that I did specifically in my occupations prepared me for what I did do today. My, my first job was, uh, was uh, doing lawn care. I would think I was 12 years old. Well, my first job was a paper boy, but I got paid $2 a week for that, so it doesn't, that's like volunteer labor, all right? My first job was, was uh, landscaping. So my older brothers uh, worked for someone who managed cemeteries. And my first job was taking a weed whacker and trimming the headstones around a cemetery. Now, if you don't know where I grew up, I grew up in Iowa and Illinois, and I was trimming the cemeteries in Iowa, and the cemeteries in the Midwest are not like the cemeteries in the Northwest. Here, they're hard to find, right? Like, you, the one in Newburgh is hidden, and it's ancient, and I don't think anyone's even buried there anymore. Like, you know, there's a few, but, but, uh, but a lot of people don't get their bodies buried in cemeteries. Like, they get cremated and spread their ashes. Not so in Iowa. In Iowa, the cemeteries are massive. I mean, they go for acres and acres and acres. And so, here I am at 12 years old, trimming around the headstones of people's lives. And I, as I think back on that moment, I think that, that I had to be precise. Why? Because people were coming to, to pay respects and honor and memorialize their family. And so we wanted it to look good. 
I wanted it to be as perfect as a 12-year-old with a weed whacker could make it. What was God teaching me? God was teaching me how to be precise in things, how to prepare the ground for people to come. I am precise in what I do. I'm not a perfectionist. Don't call me that. But I like things nice and neat. Anybody else? All right, that, I'm calling that a gift from God. <laughs> Some people call it a dysfunction, but I call it a gift. All right, I am precise. I am not a perfectionist, right, because I still throw my clothes on the floor at home, all right? But I am precise in the, in the things that I, that I do. The, the, the other job that I think helped me, and when I was 18-year-old, I, I became a waiter at a restaurant in town. I learned how to serve people. How many of you ever waited tables? I learned how to see, serve people. I learned how to, uh, to apologize to people for getting things wrong. How many know the two hardest things for a guy to say is I'm wrong and I'm sorry? Or I learned that early on. I've had to say it a lot in my life. I'm wrong and I'm sorry. Right? Guys say it. I'm wrong and I'm See? There you go. It's hard. Some guys are like... I learned how to live through disappointment when a table of 10 didn't leave a tip. All right? Uh, I learned how to, to make up for my mistakes when I spilled an entire tray of, uh, of glass, like of Diet Cokes on the table. I, I, I learned how to serve people, how to wait on people. The last job that I had that, that, that helped me prepare me for what I'm doing today is uh, during college, I, uh, I worked for a bank. I, I worked for a bank because they did tuition reimbursement. I thought I need some money for my school. And so I worked there uh, and I worked there for a few years, for three years, even after college. And I almost thought maybe this is my career path as I began to move up into the corporate office in Pasadena, California and, uh, and make more money. And, uh, but I remember what was God teaching me? God was teaching me how to deal with finances and how to deal with numbers. Today, we manage as a church a $1.2 million budget. They do not teach you how to do that in Bible college. All right, until I was a lead pastor, I never had more than $5,000 in my bank account. All right, they don't teach you those things. But that prepared me how to steward the resources that God has given us as a church, are you with me? And if you look at our annual report and you look at our budget, you would be proud of our council and how we manage the resources God has given us. Do not underestimate what God is preparing you for in his kingdom, for his work. Even the ordinary mundane things are preparation for what God is gonna do in and through you. Someone came up to me last week and they said, Pastor, I just want to offer my services to the church. He says, I do drywall repair, and I'm pretty good at it. I said, man, I could have used you eight years ago when I came. And I love that because a lot of people don't see their skill set in their occupation as something that they can give. And they can offer, and they can serve their church, their family. God is preparing you even in the ordinary Monday, mundane things of life and tending the flocks. The second thing I want to point out here is he was tending the flocks where? On the far side of the desert. Circle those words, the far side of the desert. A lot of people wonder, why was Moses on the far side? Was it curiosity? Do you ask these questions when you read the Bible? Why is he on the far side? 
Why is he away from his family? Like, is it curiosity? Was God leading him someplace? Like, there's kind of this, like, higher force? Because he doesn't know who God is at the time. That's why God says, I am the God of Abraham. Right? He doesn't know who God is yet. He's, he's for, for all intents and purposes, he's Egyptian in culture. Is it, is it God kind of moving him? Is it, is it because some people think, is it because his sheep need green grass? And so he's getting further and further and further out. You know what I think? Here's what I think. I think God is leading him out of his comfort zone to a place of uncomfort or discomfort. Here's why. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt, and at this age in the burning bush, he's 80 years old, right? He's in the prime of his life. He's 80. You're welcome. I said that just for you. He's 80 years old. How do we know he's 80 years old? Because in Acts 7.30, Stephen says that Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. So he is 80 years old at this time. He's got 40 years of spending time in Midian. He meets his wife. He's got a life. He's got a son. He's got a, a dad, right? He's got everything. He's got the comfortable life. He's gained his 15 pounds in the first year of his marriage, right? How many of you guys know that guys gain weight when they're happy and married? Anybody? All right, you, you do know. You, now you do know, all right? Look at a guy who just got married, 15 pounds, all right? He's happy, and he's comfortable, and I think God is taking him out of a place of comfort into a place of the unknown so that he can speak to him and he can begin to do things in his life. You see, Midian is a place of healing, but let me say this. Healing often happens before hearing the voice of God. Healing happens before hearing. You want God to speak to you You want God to reveal to you, you want his fresh bread. Allow your life to go through a healing process because healing precedes the hearing in Moses' life. You see, there was a calming of the chaos before there was a clarity of his voice. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but some of you, your life is so chaotic that you cannot discern the voice of God. And so Moses takes 40 years to settle down. I took three months off. Moses got 40 years. All right, that's my next sabbatical. It's gonna be my 40-year Sabbath. He got 40 years. Why does God take him out of the comfortable situation, push him further in the desert? Because that's where growth happens. Spiritual growth in your life never happens in places of comfort. Never. Spiritual growth happens in places of discomfort, in places of pain. Spiritual growth doesn't happen when everything in your life is going well. Spiritual growth happens the most when everything in your life is a living hell. When things are going bad and you remain faithful to Jesus in that season and you allow him to speak to you and lead you out of that season He's in the far side of the desert. He's in a place of discomfort, and he goes to Mount Horeb. This becomes Mount Sinai later. It's the place of many encounters that Moses has with God. And then it says this, that Moses sees this fire burning in the desert. And it says this. I think this is important. He says, he, 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 and he, he went to look. He looked over, and then he, he went. 
right? I like the King James Version. It says this, that Moses turned aside. Moses was minding his own business. He had his own agenda. He was tending the flock. He was doing his job. He sees something in the desert. Instead of continuing to lead his sheep wherever he was planning to lead his sheep, he turned aside. His attention came to this bush. He could have kept going, but he turned aside and he went over to look. Was it curiosity? Was it inspiration? Was it the leading of the Holy Spirit? I wonder how often God moves in our life, but we're too busy to understand and see it. I wonder if God is actually moving in your life, and you want God to move in your life, but, but, but you are so distracted that you're missing out on the activity of God. See, the activity of God draws Moses in. It draws Moses in. In. I, I, know, I know this, in the last, there have been seasons in my life where I'm, I've been too busy to turn aside. As a pastor, it's easy to be too busy doing the work of God instead of hearing the words of God. It's a common thing with people who serve their life to the church, that they kind of confuse those things. Go over and look, turn aside and hear the words of God. I had allowed myself to create patterns and rhythms in my life that, that, that created a busyness in a hurried life. Not that I didn't want to hear God, but I was too distracted to hear God. And we often choose, we choose lives like this. You realize that, right? We choose lives of busyness and hurry. We fill our lives with activities no other time in history have we been this busy and this so consumed with things. Are you too busy doing the work of God or doing anything else to hear the words of God? What if we paused and we asked God, Lord, what are you doing in this season? You know what I've noticed? Brianna and I were talking about this the other day. I've noticed this. I've seen a lot of people move and change and transform in this last season. I've seen people move to the right. I've seen people move to the left. I've seen people become more conservative. I've seen people become more liberal. I'm still looking for all the people. Maybe they're here in this room. They're becoming more like Jesus in this season. And I'm not saying you can't be one or the other, but what I am saying is be close to Jesus. That should inform your politics. That should inform what you believe that should inform things. Pay attention to what God is doing in the world. We've gotten caught up, and I am as guilty as this as everyone else, in complaining, in grumbling, in complaining about people, about the mandates, about this, about that. What if we prayed more than we complained? What if we began to pray for the people who lead us instead of complain about the people who lead us. My mentor, Pastor Ron Swar, who speaks here uh, on my sabbatical, he always told me this. He goes, Aaron, I tell my church to pray for me more than they talk about me. <laughs> pray, pray for me more than they talk about me. What if we prayed more instead of complained more? So Moses went over and he looked. And, and I love this next part. It says this. It says, the Lord saw that Moses came over and he looked. God, God recognizes 
Moses has a curiosity and he's drawn to the glory of God. And this is what he does. He goes, Moses, Moses. And he calls him. Right? This is the first time that Moses hears the voice of God. It's the first time. He's 80 years old. And it's the first time he hears the voice of God. You see, Moses sees the activity of God before he hears the voice of God. And it's the activity that draws him in. It's the activity that draws him in. And he begins to tune his ear to God. You see, hearing the voice of God is tuning into the station that God has. I take my kids to, to, to school in Sherwood, and so every morning we drive over Rex Hill, and there's a place, we listen to the, the radio station, there's always a place between here and Sherwood where the radio gets fuzzy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you've got to switch to a different station that's the same station, just a different tuning. You've got to turn that dial, or you've got to push that dial in order to get to the right station. L listen, I think we need to dial our hearts into the station that God is speaking on. A lot of times we want God to, to, to tune into our station, don't we? God, I, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, God, I, I just wish that, that you would come and affirm the things that I like and I believe. But we need to tune our hearts into God's station. We need to tune our hearts into the, the biblical narrative and God's truth in the Bible. And the problem with hearing God's voice today is there's so much information and so much stimulation, it's hard to know where to give our own attention to. We are constantly stimulated. We are, there's information coming at us a million miles an hour. It's hard to pay attention. You know, something that, that I've always wrestled with as a, as a communicator is ever, ever since I started uh, as a junior high pastor, middle school pastor, people said, Aaron, you need to preach shorter sermons. Because people don't have long attention spans, right? Preach shorter sermons. People said that during COVID. Preach shorter sermons because people can't watch that long online. You know what I did? I just spoke faster. <laughs> I took a 42-minute message and I preached it in 30, all right? Preach shorter or do, you know, we, it's, it's, why? Because we have short attention spans. I don't believe it, actually. Because I can sit through a two-and-a-half-hour movie if it's good. Right? So sometimes we succumb to the culture and, the, and, 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 and we pay attention to things that don't matter. And maybe for some of you, what are you paying attention to? The, the, the best-selling book, the, the, the newest, latest blog or podcast? Where, where are you getting your information from? Where are you getting your spiritual nourishment from? Finding the way back to God. Here's my one point today. Finding the way back to God is paying attention to the activity of God. It's about your mindset and it's about your focus. And I want to ask you, what are you paying attention to? Let, let me give you a couple things of what to pay attention to and who to pay attention to. I think this is important. I think the who is actually more important than the what. But what do you pay attention to? Let me give you three quick things to pay attention to. The first one is this. We pay attention to the burning desires in our hearts. God gives you dreams and he gives you visions. We pay attention to those in our heart. And we ask a question, God, how can you help? We pay attention. The second one is this. We pay attention to the emotions and painful experiences that we have. Because God often speaks through those times. And we, we ask God, God, how can you heal? The third thing we pay attention to is the needs of the people around us. 
God, how can I help? We pay attention to those things, your burning desires in your heart, the emotional pain that you experience and the needs of the people around you. The, the next one might be more important is who to pay attention to. So some of my friends, we, we just, we're blown away by, by who's, you know, who, who people are listening to and, 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 and who people are following that, that, that sometimes it's even difficult to wrap our, our minds around it. Who, who do we pay attention to? Well, I'm not going to give you names to pay attention to, but I'm, I'm going to tell you how to pay attention to somebody. The, the Bible's very clear. You, you know that ever since the, the, the beginning of the church, there's always been false teachers and false prophets? Always. It's always been throughout the church. There's been com, like councils created to, 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 to keep the orthodox doctrine that, that, that has always been there in the church. And so throughout history, there's always been false teachers. There's always been false doctrine. So how do you pay attention to these things? Or how, how, do, how, do, we, how do we do this? First uh, John 4, 1 says, discern the spirit. Discern the spirit. So I'll get it up on the screen. It says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we discern the spirit and we test the spirit. How do we discern the spirit? We do this. We test what people are saying against the word of God. It's pretty simple. I had a professor in Bible college, Pastor Larry Powers, one of the, one of the greatest professors. Uh, and, and I remember, I mean, it's the first time I'm a freshman. So it's my first year in, in, in school. And he's just... I mean, every, every class was a sermon. He was like one of the best expositional preachers that I'd ever heard at the time. And every class, I mean, we were weeping, and, you know, and this is like a, this is a college class and we're taking notes and uh, it's so powerful. And, and I remember him saying something. He goes, I want you guys to do something. I want you to test what I say against the word of God. I'd never heard anyone ever say that. I'd never heard a pastor say that. I certainly never heard a professor say that. I want you to test what I say against the word of God. Who do we pay attention to? We discern the spirits by testing what people say against the word of God. The litmus test for whether you listen to somebody is not whether their words resonate with you. Because there are some words in the Bible that do not resonate with me. They assault my pride, they point out my sin, and they get into the nitty gritty of my life. I don't like them. <laughs> but God does something in that place. Are you with me? What are you paying attention to? Moses pays attention. He turns aside. He walks towards the bush, and he hears the voice of God. Moses, Moses, in his words, the first words out of his mouth, here I am. I love that. How many prophets throughout the Bible, I think of Isaiah, has an encounter God, well, here I am. I think that's the right response to the voice of God in your life. Here I am. I'm available. I love that we just sang that song. I'm available, God. Here I am. I want you to use me. I want you to speak to me. I am available to you. If we look at the greatest voices in the Christian faith throughout history, they've been people who have said, Here I am. They've been available. They're no different than you or I. 
The difference is they kept saying yes to God. Someone taught me early on in my walk, always say yes to the Lord. Say yes until God says no. Say yes until God says no. And this is exactly what Moses needs. He needs to hear the voice of God. And he says, here I am. And then here's the moment, and I want to end with this. This is the breakthrough moment. This is what we've all been waiting for as we've been reading the book of Exodus, for God to actually encounter Moses. Not just say, hey, Moses, but, but have an encounter with him. And Moses is forever changed, and he's forever altered in this exchange because he experiences something that he's never experienced before. He experiences the holiness of God. At this point, it's not tuning into some faint whisper. At this point, it's, it's approaching the blazing glory of God. The fire of God out on the far side of the desert. And Moses needs this because what God is going to ask of him. I want to talk about the holiness of God for a moment. And I want to, I want to end with this. What is, what is it? What does it mean? So, so Moses comes, he turns aside, and, and, and he goes, Moses, Moses, and, and Moses says, here I am, and he takes another step, and God says, don't come any closer, and take off your sandals. I want to talk about that. Don't come any closer, and take off your sandals. It has to do with the holiness of God, because the ground you're standing on is holy. What, is, what does holiness actually mean? The, the word holy the Hebrew word is the word Kadesh, and it means two things. It means that which is separate, and it means that which is bright. And so the, for God to be holy, it means that he is completely separate. He is, he is morally pure. There is nothing like him. He is perfect in every way. There is no sin. There is no evil. There is no bad. He is everything that is good. He is wholly separate from all of humanity. He is above all. He is transcendent. He is, he, he is above everything. He is separate, wholly different than humanity. And because of God's pure, holy nature, we might think this. We might think that God is unapproachable. Oh, he's just so perfect. And in a way, God is. He says, Moses, don't come any closer. Why? Because my holiness is going to, it's not going to consume this bush because it has no sin in it, but it's going to consume you. So, so hold, hold on. Before you come any closer, I want you to take off your sandals. I want you to take off your sandals. We might think that God's holiness is unapproachable, but the fact that holy means separate but also bright, there's an attractiveness to it. And so Moses is drawn to the attractiveness of the holiness of God. It's attractive. It's beautiful. You know, sometimes we call people who try to be perfect, we say, oh, they're holier than thou, and it's a negative thing. But the holiness of God is completely positive and beautiful and bright. There's two dimensions of God's holiness. It is the quintessential nature of God. It is who he is, it is what he is. He is holy. The second thing is this, humans, objects, places, people derive their holiness from being in proximity to God, from being close to God. And you can see this in where he says, take off your sandals. 
By the way, there's an entire book about humans being holy. It's called Leviticus. It says, be holy for I am holy. And God says, I want you to take off your sandals. Why does, why does God ask Moses to take off his sandals? You ever think about that? Or you just read the text, right? Because the ground's holy. But why? But why? Some people think it's a sign of, irre, uh, of reverence between him and God. Oh, I'm in the presence. I'm just going to take my, and I'm, I'm going to bow down. Some people think it has to do with cleanness. Oh, my sandals are dirty. I must take them off before I go into the presence and the holiness of God. But I have a theory. You know what I think? I think God didn't want anything in the way. I think God wanted Moses to remove that one inch of leather so his feet could touch the holiness and the holy ground. So that he could experience God. So that there was no separation between him and God. Moses, before you come closer, I want you to take off your sandals because I want you to experience me. And I want you to feel my presence. And I want you to know what it's like to be holy while being in close proximity to me. And I think there are times and seasons in our life where metaphorically we need to take off the sandals. Because there is a separation between you and God and we need to remove those so we can experience the holiness and the perfection of who God is. I want you to stand with me as we close. I'm gonna ask the worship band to come up. We're gonna sing a song and end with a song. Some of you in this room, you need that, that fresh encounter, that fresh bread. You need to experience God's holiness, God's beauty, God's transcendence. And you've been in a season of the desert and you need God to speak and you need God to move. And he's been maybe silent in your life or at least you haven't been tuning into him. Or maybe there's something in your life that's getting in the way. But you're ready to hear and you're ready to receive. And you're ready to experience the holiness of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just wanna ask you in this room, if that's you, if you're a place where you just want to encounter God today, you wanna take your relationship to another level, you wanna experience who God is, you want to experience what he has for you. You want to hear his voice. Maybe you're at the place, maybe God is speaking, but you want to say, here I am. Maybe you've been afraid to say that. But here I am. If that's you and you're saying, you know what, I want to experience God in my life. If that's you with no one looking around, would you just lift your hand up? Amen. Let me just pray over you. Father, we lift up everyone who is just reaching out to you right now. And God, I pray that they take off their sandals to encounter and experience your holiness. And it is your holiness that makes us holy. It doesn't make us better than anyone else. It's make, it makes us more like you, God, and like your son, Jesus Christ. God, we give you praise in this place. And we ask that you move in our hearts we love you, Lord, and we praise your name. And everyone said, amen.